Well, good morning, everyone. That was uh, good singing. You know, I don't know whether you heard kids singing when we sang today. I don't know because of where I was sitting or whatever, but that was beautiful to hear kids really singing, you are good, you are good. Let me pray. Gracious God, we're here with you, and uh, we're here to recognize your goodness. We're here to sing it and to proclaim it and to remember it, and uh, Lord, then to live out of it. Be with us now, Father, and let your word come to life. Let it not be a stale, uh, dry experience of listening to a sermon for all gathered, Lord, but let it be a time when everyone here encounters you, hears your voice quietly, gently being spoken into their lives. And let it be an opportunity for us to be further transformed into the image of Jesus. So, Lord, we look to you. Pray that you come now and move by your Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. So, let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was a radical? Oh, I've got answers. How many think he was a radical? Okay, interesting. Probably not, not half, but, it, you know, maybe a third. So often in the church we think of Jesus and, and you know, we think, you know, that, what that means is that we need to be more traditional. We need to hold on to what we've got. We, you know, radical? You know, the radicals are the people on the, you know, the radical fringe and they're talking crazy ideas and they're taking us beyond what we normally would want. Let me read the definition of radical to you from one dictionary. It's this. Thoroughgoing or extreme. Now note the word extreme. Especially as regards change from accepted or traditional forms. Jesus extreme? You know, I would suggest to you that he was a radical and that he was extreme. I would suggest to you that Jesus over and over and over again shocked people by what he said and what he did. And I would suggest to you that the more you come to recognize, all of us, I guess, the more we come to recognize the radical nature of Jesus' person and his teaching, the more we will come to terms with who he really was. Uh, Jesus shocked people. You know, you know um, I wonder as we engage in this series, Living Like Jesus, whether those who follow Jesus recognize that what they're being invited to as a result is into being radical, into being extreme in some ways, into shocking people in, in terms of how they think and that's how they live. But I would suggest to you, we got to get a hold of this idea of Jesus as radical. You know, we see this all through Jesus' life. Sometimes we don't recognize it as we read the Gospels, the stories of his life, but it is there all over the place. He was such a radical, in fact, that in the end they killed him because he was too extreme for them said too many shocking things. But nowhere is it better illustrated than in John 13, where he washed <clears throat> his disciples' feet. Um, last week, we learned about the fact that Jesus um, lived based on a couple of realities. I mean, from within him came the desire to do the will of God, his Father. You know, we talked about the Passover and how he became the Passover lamb. He was about to wash feet, but not too far away he would be crucified. Days away he would be crucified. He would be, become the lamb of the world who would take away the sin of the world, but it would require his death. 
And that brought us to the second point, to live like Jesus is to be people who are committed to sacrifice, if that's what's necessary for us, to do God's will in our lives, knowing what that is. Well, I want to look at another inner dynamic of Jesus today, which I, I, I would suggest to you caused him to live as he lived. And uh, I'm going to read the whole story again, John 13, 1 to 17. I want you to notice um, Peter's reaction to Jesus. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But um, let's listen again to what this text has to say. John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, let's go back to Peter. His reaction was, I would suggest to you, a reaction of shock. Because Jesus was proposing to do something radical in his life. I mean, his, his, his response was essentially saying, there is no way you're going to do this, Jesus. I mean, this is craziness. Like, what are you doing? You know, this, this can't be. This is wrong, and it is never going to happen in my life. It was too radical for him to embrace. Now, the question becomes, again, why did Jesus do what he did? Why would he do such a thing? these disciples why would he step out of the traditional form as the definition suggested and do something that was beyond the scope of a man like peter probably all of them he's just the one who tended to do the talking for the disciples right well you know you look at the second part of verse one uh, second sermon on verse one in this series you're going to recognize that he did it for one reason it says they're having loved his own who were in the world he loved Jesus loved them to the end. I'm here to tell you today that the reason he washed feet, the reason he went to the cross, and this is the beginning of the latter part of Jesus' life, the last part of the Gospel of John, because of love. He loved these guys. Um, and that caused him to do what he did. Now, I think love here can be understood on several levels. On the most uh, simple, superficial level, he saw a need in their lives, 
which wasn't being mad, and that was that they needed their feet washed. You know, people in that culture, you, many of you know, would go and they would have Gentile slaves, not Jewish slaves, as I said last week, wash feet. It was too menial even for Jewish slaves to do. But the honored guests would have this done for them. No one was doing it. Jesus saw, nobody's washing feet. I'm going to go wash feet. Second, maybe in a bit of, bit of a deeper way, he loved these people because here he recognized an opportunity to teach people that he loved to understand. The word is used twice in the text. Understand more about the reality of living in the kingdom of God. You know, this is the way we're going to operate, people. This is my thinking. This is my way. Get used to it. Take my example and follow me. And I think at a deeper level yet, here is an opportunity Jesus realized to let them know how to live in order that they might be blessed. I'm going to keep coming back to this. This is so, so important. Because Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Knowing about it's not enough. And I'm going to tell you today, you can know about this and leave this place. You won't find blessing in this. But if you do these things, you will be blessed. Who wants a blessed life? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? Yeah, some of you do. Good. We can find blessing if we'll take these words of Jesus seriously. You see, Jesus' way was radically different from the norm. And he was instructing his people out of love. I want to suggest to you that it's radically different because of the basic human unconscious idea, if you would, uh, that, that it, it is me who needs to be served, not someone else. You know, I want status and I want position or I want power or I want money so that other people will serve me. This is wired into us. It's who we are. It's just part of our thinking. Now, as I was remembering the, the great TV show, Downton Abbey. How many of you were Downton Abbey fans when it was on? Yeah, it's a good number of you putting up your hands. I watched it, and we watched it together in my home, and it was about a lord of the manor, and they had the castle, and uh, the nobility, if you would. And these, this family had dozens and dozens of servants, this is like 1920 in England, to serve every need that they had. You know, they had people to cook for them. And then they had the servants in black tie who would serve the meal, and they would take the dishes away when they were done, and somebody else obviously would clean up. You know, they had people to polish their brass and their silver, servants. They had people to light their fires, probably put them out at night. They had people, especially for the Lord, to dress him in the morning, or if it was time for dinner, to put on his outfit that was specifically for dinner. Like, literally, he had a servant who would dress him. And then the women also, uh, kind of ladies-in-waiting, who would help them get dressed. And you, and you see, the reality is here are these people with position and power and they had all these servants, the lowly folks of the world who would serve their needs. You know, I want to suggest when you think about that, who wouldn't want that? Anybody here like somebody to cook their meal every night? Uh, to do their laundry? To wash their dishes? You know, to do anything that you would like? They had a chauffeur to drive you wherever you needed to go. That'd be kind of not. We want that. Like, that's not a bad thing in our heads. That's like, wow, I'll live that way. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, last night, it was my turn to cook dinner. And uh, it was one of those, that's no big deal. You know, we take nights to cook dinner. And, but it was one of those nights where we, uh, you know, we needed, I needed that quickly to get it done. So I had to go buy corn so we could boil it and enjoy it and, you know, I had chicken on the barbecue, and we had potatoes boiling. and Like, it was just one of those times it was hot outside, and I was hot because I was, you know, I was sweaty when I sat down to eat the meal. Now, listen to me. That's all fine and good. But what would I have preferred last night? 
to do all that I just described to you or to be able to just walk to the table, sit down, and eat something that somebody else cooked? What would I have preferred? Honestly, I would have preferred to be the pe person who walked to the table, sat down, and ate the dinner without having to rush around and get all sweaty and do all that work. And it's no big deal, but it, doesn't it illustrate something? We want to be served. We prefer to be served. There's something in us that takes us to that place. We want to be here and not down there. This is exactly what's going on in the story that uh, I'm going to read to you. It's when a mom comes to Jesus with two of her boys who happen to be disciples to talk to Jesus. And listen to this story. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. says this. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these sons, two sons of mine sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now just pause again. She's thinking political, military kingdom, Jesus on a throne, these being his right and left hand advisors, and therefore people with power, people who would be served. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? <laughs> we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been these people belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, we've we, we got to think about this, right? We've we got to come to terms with the reality that um, Jesus was saying uh, to these guys who wanted to be up here with position and power so that others would serve them. He was saying, saying to them, that's not how I operate, and that's not how my people are going to operate, and that's not how my community uh, in the kingdom of God is going to operate. He came along to them with an incredibly, radically different, might I say it radically, radically different way of operating. So much so that it ought to shock people just when we do it, just as it did when Jesus did it. Think about this for a minute. <clears throat> I want to tell you, this happens in marriages. This happens in your workplace. This idea of what's normal for us. This happens at church. People come to be served, you know, like take care of my needs and so forth. Where we put ourselves at the center, right? And we essentially have this belief, you know, what's good for me? I'm eager to have my needs met, Right? I, I want you to take care of my concerns. And sometimes we do this, as I've said, without even thinking about it. But what's Jesus' way? I want to tell you, we don't sit at the center anymore. God sits at the center. Christ. And we serve him. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's, there's no sense of us, of us being other than servant. You know, we talked about it last week. Uh, um, but we have to die to self. Uh, another verse, we have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. How can you sit in the center if you're dead? <laughs> How
How can you say that this world exists to serve me if I'm not there? What's, what's, what's being said to us is this radical, profound reorientation of our thinking that Jesus wants to pull us into so that we live differently, so that we live like him. See, Jesus lived to do his Father's will. He was willing to sacrifice his life in order to get it done. And he also did it, what he did, because of love. See, the greatest commandment, what, is, what did Jesus say when he was asked? He said, love God. That's the first thing. And then he said, by the way, there's a second command, and it's like it. Love your neighbor. See the needs in other people, and then go meet those needs. And, and as I've thought about this, it's almost like the, the, these texts are saying to us, you know, love God and love people. Love God and love people. And it's almost like we can love God by loving people because we're doing what he wants us to. We're honoring his words. And I want to tell you this mentality of Jesus loving people by seeing their needs and acting in order to meet them was wired into his being. Just who he was. You know, right after this discussion that I've read to you in... Um, John, uh, Matthew chapter tw uh, 20, there's another instance where Jesus puts into practice in a pretty dramatic way, I think, what he has been teaching these guys. So let me read to you from um, 29 to 34. It says this, right after the passage about Jesus having this little visit with a mom and two sons, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by. They shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. My friends, we need to understand that this, those of us who want to live like Jesus, look at the text and see what was going on. You know, Jesus is walking along with a bunch of people who considered him in, on top. He's Lord of the manor. And then there are these blind men on the side of the road. They would have been beggars because in that day there was no social safety net. You know, they couldn't see, they couldn't employ themselves, they couldn't make a living. They would have been in rags. They were probably smelly. They were like, you know, the people with Jesus couldn't have contemplated that Jesus would have cared at all for them, that Jesus would have wanted to engage them, that Jesus, you know, gave two hoots about what they wanted. And they just, they, they, it says that they rebuked him. That's a strong word in the language. And they told him, just be quiet, be quiet. What did Jesus do? He said, first along, bring them to me. And then he said, what do you want me to do for you? I think that's a powerful question. What do you want me to do for you? Can I paraphrase it by saying this? Jesus is saying, how can I serve you? How can I meet your need? And in the end, out of compassion, he healed them. He cared enough for these people to touch their eyes and restore their sight, which would have transformed their lives. An act of love. This is the point that I want to make to you. And if you take nothing away from today, Otherwise, take this, that this was the stuff of Jesus' life. This, this was his heart's desire to see need and out of love act to bless people. Uh, this, this, was, this was how he thought about love, life. This is how he chose to live his life, to see need. And it didn't matter whether it was dirty feet or blind eyes 
or the need for forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It was wired into Jesus. Can I put it this way? It was in his DNA to notice the needs of other people and out of love to act to meet those needs. It's remarkable that he lived this way. This is, the, the, you know, think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's bizarre. It's radical. It's extreme. Why is that, Chris? This man was the son of God. He was the son of God. He was the creator of all that has been created, Colossians tells us. He was with God in the beginning. And all things were made by him. And what is he doing? He's washing feet. Dirty, smelly feet. <laughs> and he's doing it because he loves these guys. I'm going to apply this in a couple of ways today. But think, first of all, about, about serving in the church. And think about your own experience, if you would. I'm going to share a little bit of my experience of what I hear from people and so forth and have over the years. When, when people think about serving, I would suggest some, some people respond with, this, with a sense of obligation. Oh, I really should do this. You know, it's the right thing to do. You know, it's almost like, I don't want to do it, but I should do it. Where's love in that scenario? Not there. Some people come along and, you know, they, some people act at times out of guilt. Well, God will be unhappy with me if I don't serve. He'd be mad with me. <laughs> How about self-interest? You know, I'll offer to help because I, I think I might enjoy that. Uh, I'll offer to help because I, I might learn some good things about life. I'll do that because I might meet some nice people who might become my friends. You know, what we're talking about here is putting ourselves at the center of this and seeing serving in the possibility of serving about, being about all about me and how, how, how I might, if you would, avoid guilt in my life or how I might get something out of it. But it's not love. Nothing that I just described to you is out of love. I want you to think about, hey, maybe you're going to serve in our downtown ministry as we serve the disadvantaged on a Tuesday and a Sunday night, and they gather together in community, 40, 50 people, and we feed them a meal. Normally, when, well, we do that now, but normally when COVID's not on, we build community, and we build relationship, and we share Jesus, you know. Or in the raw carrot, you know, we employ six people who are uh, unable to work. They're on disability pensions, and it gives them a little extra cash, but more than that, we give them the dignity of work and we give them community to be part of, and we love them, and we share Jesus with them? You know? Why might anyone think about doing that? Anybody think about doing that? Well, what we're being told in this text, clearly, is the reason we ought to do that, if we're going to do it, is because we think of those people, and we love them. We care about them. To use the word from the text from, from Matthew 20, we have compassion on them so that we act. We see need in their lives and we act just as Jesus would. I told you last week about a man named David McCausland who was my Sunday school teacher when I was 10. Um, and I knew that man cared for me. I can't tell you right now why I knew that as a 10-year-old boy, but I knew it. And I think that's why he had a profound effect on my life. I don't remember a thing he taught me, but I remember the impact. You probably know the saying, no one cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. You know that one? Have you heard it? That's true. It doesn't matter how you might serve. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We are there to love, to communicate God's love to different people. Now back to John 13. Jesus was introducing 
his way, his new way, into a new community. It was the way that he wanted his followers to live. You know, later on in the same chapter, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, don't you think it's kind of dramatic that Jesus gives a commandment and the commandment to his followers is love people? You know, you go back to the Ten Commandments and the numerous commandments that are all over the Bible. You know, love the Lord... Um, you know, worship the Lord and, and don't steal and don't commit adultery. And like all, what does Jesus tell his people to do? Love people. Love people. Let that sink into your heart. Let that be the reason why you do what you do for others. It's a remarkable and a beautiful thing. More application. How about this? Husbands. Um, in your relationship with your wives, do you notice need and then act out of love? Do you serve their needs? Do you serve your wives? Wives. Honestly. Is that how you engage marriage? Out of love, you see need and you act. I want to suggest to you that sometimes, sometimes, that's not the orientation that we have in marriage. Sometimes it might begin that way, but it doesn't last that way. <laughs> Because very often the human nature takes over and it becomes the opposite of what I'm describing to you. We're in a marriage and we expect our spouse to meet our needs. And when they don't do it, we're not happy about it. And if you have two people saying, meet my need, meet my need, and the other one doesn't quite manage to get there because they're too focused on their own need, wanting the other to do it for them, you, you create distance in a relationship. But what happens when two people come together in marriage? And they have the heart of Jesus. And they think like him. And they intentionally look at, into the life of the other person and say, what is the need of that person? When they see the need, they act out of love for that person. You've got two people in an ongoing fashion loving one another. And it brings them together into an intimacy. That is what marriage is supposed to be. Are you seeing it? Jesus says, you know, John 13, you will be blessed if you do this. There's the blessing. It's only one little glimpse into the blessing. But you will have a blessed marriage, a deeply blessed and a deeply loving marriage if you embrace this. It's a remarkable thing that Jesus is giving to us here. This, this is something that is profound and beautiful and something that will bless our lives dramatically. Now I want to ask you right now, husbands and wives, what is the greatest need in your spouse's life? You know, I bet you some of you do, but I bet some of you don't. Understand, the first step of love is seeing the need, <laughs> noticing, caring. Second step is acting upon it to meet it. But listen, if you don't know what the greatest need in your spouse's life is right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, maybe on the way home in the car, and I want you to ask him or her. Use the question of Jesus from Matthew chapter 20, what do you want me to do for you? Honey, I love you. How can I help you? How can I bless your life? What need do you have right now, so that whether it be this afternoon or tomorrow, having come to see the need, I'm going to act to meet it. I want to tell you, my friends, that's the way of Jesus. And you'll be blessed as a couple if you embrace, embrace it. How about those times when it's not so easy to, to, to uh, see need and meet it in the lives of other people? You know, 
We all go to work every day, right? And sometimes we have bosses that we don't appreciate. Sometimes we have other people uh, with whom we work that we don't even like and don't get along with. What's Jesus' instruction? Love them. <laughs> you know, love them. I'm going to read Colossians 3, uh, 22 to 24 for you. It's talking about slaves and masters and so forth. But let's draw the parallel to employer and employee, shall we? It's uh, kind of a, a close uh, parallel that, that we, can, we can use. It says this, Colossians 3.22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, self-interest, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You might not like your boss, and that boss might not treat you very well, but Jesus comes along with his radical instruction, and he says, love them. Uh, understand what their need is and act when you see it. You might not like your, your fellow employees. They might give you a hard time, but Jesus says, love them. You know, Jesus gets even probably most radical in this regard when he says, love your enemies. You have an enemy? Have you had in the past? And he illustrates it in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, and he's speaking of a Roman soldier who were in that dominant, powerful position, the position of people who could demand service and receive it. They were the ones with the weapons and, and so forth, the oppressors. He said, if somebody comes along and asks for your shirt, give him your coat also. <laughs> Why? Out of love. Oh, you're cold. Listen, a shirt's not enough. Let me give you my coat too. Because we care. My friends, are you beginning to grasp the radical nature of what Jesus is teaching? Are you beginning to grasp the radical nature of how he lived his life? I want to tell you it becomes radical not just because it's unusual in our culture, and it definitely is. And by the way, if we live in these ways, people go, what is going on with that guy? <laughs> what, what on earth is going on in her life? Because it's radical, shocking, extreme. But it's also radical because of the condition of the human heart. Nobody functions like this without the intervention of God. You know, this, this becomes a possibility, honestly, my friends, when God saves us. That's what the Bible calls it. When God moves by his spirit in our lives and he changes us. It's called regeneration theologically. It's giving people new life, spiritual life, where God comes and he literally makes us new so that we don't think the way we used to think. We don't desire the things we used to desire. We don't act the way that we used to act. No, we act in, in, in the way that we do because God has poured his love into our hearts, as Scripture says, and we are just ready to share it with anybody with whom we do business. See, it's like God comes to us and he said, now nah, I'm going to reorient your life. I'm going to get you to think differently. I'm going to get you to act differently. I'm going to change you so that you don't think anymore or care anymore that you're the one who is to be served. I'm going to get you to realize that you're the servant who can love another. And in so doing, witness to my reality which is within you and bless others. Now, it could be here uh, today there are people or people listening to me who have not experienced regeneration. Who just 
This stuff does sound like craziness. You know, it's not the way you have thought or lived your life. Uh, you haven't come to that place where you've opened your life to the Lord Jesus and, and invited him to come in and, uh, uh, and so forth. But it could be today that some folks listening to me might want that. And you're just experiencing that sense of God nudging you at a deep level saying, you know, it's time to step in. You know, it's time for you to say yes. And I would invite you very literally, if you sense God speaking to you that you, that you, that you come to Christ in prayer, and I'll give you that opportunity in a moment and just say, Lord Jesus, I want this. I need my heart changed. Like, I know it. I'm not where Jesus was at. <laughs> I need you to come, and I need you to change my heart, and I need you to take my, away my self-orientation, and I need you to make me like him. You can do that, and he will. It takes time to get there, but he'll begin the journey with you. And sooner or later, you'll be living a radical life because your life has been so filled with the love of God that all you want to do is love other people by meeting their needs. Another side of the coin, people who are here today who might uh, have lived in relationship with Jesus for quite a long time, but they're, they're hearing about this reality and they're thinking about their marriage or their work situation or they're enemies, and they're going, oh man, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's only one way that you can get there, and that is by the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit at work within you. To transform your thinking, and to transform your heart's desire. And to teach you, to lead you to being like Jesus. And you know what you can pray? Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, Come. And change my heart more and more and more every day. And enable me to love like Jesus. Help me to see the need, first of all. You can't see the need, it's hard to meet it. Help me to see the need because of, my, because of the compassion that you give me for people. And then enable me to act so that I might meet the need of another. Now, I, I want to finish today by, by dropping a thought into your mind that's entirely consistent with everything that I've just spoken, but it's entirely different too. I want to ask you the question, who is the person in your life who serves you the most? Who is the person in your life who is your greatest servant? I'm going to tell you, it's God. That's crazy. The God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe and all that exists, the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who is all-present, God Almighty is your servant. Not only has he sent Christ <clears throat> to die for your need, he is with you to guide you and to protect you and to provide for you, to love you all the time. He knows your needs and he meets them. Like, if you haven't grasped the radical nature of, of, of what I'm talking about today, I hope, if you hadn't prior, I hope it just happened. God Almighty is your servant. And he calls you to be like him in the lives of other people. How many of us here want to live like Jesus? Hmm? I mean, it's a big question in itself. I say to you, in summary including last week, be ready to do God's will above anything else in your life. Be ready to sacrifice yourself to, in whatever way is required in order to do it. Number three, 
act out of love for the people that you encounter every single day. Your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your enemies. Become like Jesus. Live like him. By having enough love within to see need. And then, then do whatever you need to do in order to act to meet the need of the people that God gives you to serve. Become a servant as Jesus was a servant. Let's pray. Lord, this is uh, radically different for us, all of us. It is so easy to want to be served and to look for others to serve us and even to demand it. But Lord, it's, it's so often beyond our scope of reference or orientation to life to turn that around and to embrace the idea of loving other people by seeing and meeting their need. Lord, as has been spoken today, this really only happens when you bring new life into a person's experience, when you change them. And God, there may be people here who are wanting this, who are eager to know that, that presence and that power at work within them of God. And Lord, um, we're just going to give 20 seconds for people to say, Lord Jesus, I want this. I want you to come into my life. I want you to change my heart. I pray you'll forgive my sin. And I want you to take me forward. And let's, I just give, Lord, just give a few moments now to those folks to pray that prayer if they desire it. Lord, a lot of people today will be listening and watching from home and they've been in your kingdom for quite a long time and they recognize need for further change, need to step away from the self-oriented life, step away from wanting to be served to wanting to serve. And Lord, they too can pray, as has been encouraged today, that you would do that by your spirit. So we just take a moment in silence to give those people to invite you to be at work by your spirit in them. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to see the need which surrounds us in the lives of precious people whom you love. And fill our hearts with love, so much so that we easily and naturally and simply just go toward them and we meet that need so that they are blessed. And Lord, as we engage this way of living like Jesus, Lead us to that place of incredible blessing. Lead us away from what once was to that place where our lives are enriched and deepened, given far greater joy than we've ever known. I pray, God, you'll bless these people who are listening today by teaching them to love like Jesus loved. As we pray in his name.
Amen.